0: Uh, that was some State of the Union, huh?
1: Yeah, you know, I am going to admit that I actually didn't watch the State of the Union, um, but I did watch the outtakes, and I watched some of the Post interviews.
0: Yeah? What do you think of Stacey Abrams?
1: I thought she was fantastic. I did watch her full response, and I thought she was great. I thought she addressed um, some of Trump's issues, some of his, of his controversies head-on, but she also talked about the future of our country and really uh, honed in on what Democrats stand for. So I, I thought she was great. And, you know, Doug, we've seen a number of those post-rebuttals of the State of the Union that have flopped, right? That, yeah. you know, we'll never forget the uh, the infamous Marco Rubio who was, you know, stopped to drink a glass of water. Um, I think last year, Congressman Kennedy, or maybe it was two years ago he did it, where he had a lot of chapstick on I mean, him. He, he gave a great response history, to everybody.
0: History is littered it. with uh, people who botched the State of the Union response, and Stacey Abrams hit it out of the park. She did. Um, so, hey, folks. Uh, my name is Doug Thornell. We're here. It's the electables. I'm joined by my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod. Hey, guys. And uh, we are joined by a special guest today, Naveen Nayak, who is the Executive Director of Cap Action Fund, and also... Uh, the former director of opinion research for the Hillary Clinton campaign, Naveen. Thanks for joining us. It's great to be
2: here.
1: So happy to have you here, Naveen.
0: My pleasure. So today we're going to try to demystify the world of polling and data analytics. Uh, there's a lot of there's been a lot of talk uh, about data analytics polling versus traditional polling. A lot of what Naveen did uh, in the uh, with the Clinton campaign was overseeing their operation there. Uh, and so we wanted to give you a sense of sort of what does any of this stuff mean? What, it, w- w- you know, it's sort of like a, um, uh, you know, campaign analytics 101. Uh, so that you can, you know, this term is thrown around a lot on TV, um, but oftentimes we aren't really entirely sure what it means, how, it, how campaigns use the data that they collect, and, and then also just the differences between that and polling.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I remember starting on Hillary Clinton's campaign um, early on, and when we moved our offices from Midtown to Brooklyn, uh, we had, uh, you know, different divisions, different offices, different components of the campaign. And every time I would walk by the analytics operation, I literally just had no idea really what analytics did until I started, you know, until we really started to do a lot of meetings, and I realized the value of analytics. And Robbie Mook, our former campaign manager, was very... Um, adamant about having an, an internal analytics operation at the campaign headquarters as opposed to having, you know, outsourcing the operation. So, Naveen, thank you so much for joining us today. I would love to get your, you know, initial take on, you know, why analytics matters so much to a presidential campaign and it, how you think it's, you know, it, it impacts the overall strategy and ultimately the outcome of a state win or. A presidential
2: win. No, for sure. This is uh, fun to break down. Um, and, and I,
0: Feel free to geek out. Okay? <laughs> I think please we geek gotta, out. That's what we want. Out.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think people are all shocked when they would come to the Hillary Clinton headquarters and see all these like 20, 30 something year olds in the corner who didn't look like typical campaign people, but they wielded a ton of power. How big
0: was the department?
2: Uh, I mean, it kept growing. I, I I don't know the exact number, but I bet you it was closer to 70 by the end of the Campaign well over fifty, and at the start of it, you know it was a different year than we're going to see this year. But it was you know well over twenty people right from the start, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I think the easiest way to think about this is uh, you know the hardest thing campaigns, the biggest decisions that they have to make is how do I spend resources and how do I spend my candidate's time, and that's going to be true this year, right? Like, what states should candidates go visit? Where in the state should they go visit? Where do you do your event? What part of the state? And ultimately, analytics in the simple sense is it's helping you make decisions um, with a lot of data, as opposed to making it based on your gut. And um, the you know the core of it, what makes it really unique and different from polling, one piece of it is it's taking a ton of consumer data. It's not just a poll; it involves a poll, but then it's taking all kinds of other data sets, consumer data sets, voter file information, and coming up with um, an individualized sort of Thought or plan, really. So uh, you know, for example, uh, you know, if I'm thinking about should I spend money talking to Adrian Elrod, um, you know, analytics will give you a sense of like, no, don't spend a dime. She's going to vote, and she's going to vote for us. It's not worth our money. Or you know, analytics might say, you know what, Uh, she's not certainly going to vote for us. Let's actually spend some time either. Serving her up some ads, or maybe the better way to get her is mail. So it also it'll inform all these kinds of decisions decisions in terms of who you should talk to, where and how you should try to reach them.
0: Um, and this is specific individuals or their profiles.
2: No, this is like getting down to the voter file. That's what this is what makes it so powerful and sort of additive to what we used to have with polling by itself. Is uh, you're lit, literally you can go to the voter file and then give everyone a sense of like my likelihood of them being a voter for me and how I should talk to them and where should I reach them. Um, and so I think that's sort of the, the power of it is it's not just, and it, and I think it's, you know, in this sense, politics is sort of catching up with what the consumer world has been doing for a long time, right? Amazon knows exactly whether you're someone they should sell to Mm -hmm. and how they should, how they should get you. And then they know what product to serve up to you to try and get you. And that's, it's the same basic idea with, um, with analytics and politics, is it's helping you uh, be efficient with your resources, so you're talking to the right people at the right time with the right message.
1: And Naveen, why do you think it was so important for, I would say, our campaign, Hillary Clinton's campaign, to have this operation internally? Um, do you think that, you know, for for example, we've got, what, probably 15 candidates, maybe 20 candidates running in this election cycle by the, by the end of the day? um on the democratic side do you think i mean knowing that these people not every single campaign is going to have the same resources that we did do you think there's danger in some of these campaigns to not have an analytics operation housed internally can they outsource it if they outsource it what kind of impact would that have or does it have to does it really need to live internally
2: i don't i don't know that the internal piece is like i mean i think the advantage of that is sort of the advantage of you know um They work for you full-time, so they're not, you know, a consultant that's just sort of, you know, they're part-time, you're one of many clients. I think your ability for them to be engaged in much more of the day-to-day strategy is sort of like key. The reality for 2018 or 2020 is, I don't know that there's enough data and analytics talent to sort of feed the number of campaigns that are out there. I mean, there's only a handful of- Well,
0: we're all the uh, 70 people that work (laughs) for you. (laughs) They They did not work
2: for me. They worked for Alain Kriegel, who's fantastic and and ran that shop. I I got to manage the polling side of things. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of younger talent, but to, I think, bring someone in. So, you know, it's interesting that- um, Uh, Elizabeth Warren has hired Joe Rossbars, who I think is going to play that kind of a role of really more from the digital side of things, but really thinking smartly about um, how are we spending our digital resources? Who are we targeting and trying to be really thoughtful in in that respect? But I'm not sure that there's going to be enough talent for every campaign uh, to do this. And listen, one of the fascinating things that Beto O'Rourke did, I don't know that it got a ton of attention, but he sort of eschewed, I think, all of this when he ran for Senate um, mm-hmm. in 2018, right? No pollster, none of this kind of, I mean, I don't know how they made decisions, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe By that's, their gut, I guess. Yeah, that's, I think that's part of the authenticity and the appeal of Beto, right? It's like he's not being guided by anything, but his gut and sort of how he feels, and he you know, kind of made that quarter who he was and made it work for him. But I think a lot of people in my kind of, uh, side of things would look at that and go, man, he really could have benefited given how close that thing was from being more efficient in what parts of the state he spent his time. And, you know, they raised $70 million. And I don't know if it was spent necessarily talking to the right people um, in the way it could have.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with you, especially if, if he decides to run. And, you know, he's, he's obviously uh, a, a star uh, in the party because of his, his, his very close Senate run. But I do think that there may be some questions about the professionalism of the campaign he's gonna that he will build. Uh, he's an, he's obviously brings an amazing uh, set of skills as a candidate. But right. if you're asking big donors and small donors to invest in your operation and campaign, things like polling and whether it's anal, whether it's data analytics polling or traditional polling, focus groups, you know, even having a media advisor. I think people are gonna wonder if that's the direction he's gonna go. Uh, he obviously got close in Texas, but he didn't win. And so does he? are these some changes that he's gonna th- consider making if he gets in?
2: I, I think he has to. I, I think it's, you know, he, he obviously made it further than I think any of us sort of imagined in a state like Texas in a midterm election. But if you're gonna run for president, you know, the decisions are so much more uh, vast. They're coming at you all the time in terms of where do you spend your money, how do you accumulate the delegates, and I, I think it's just really, really hard, in my mind, to imagine he can just do it on earned media without any sort of sophisticated operation. Again, I, I think consultants have gotten a bad rap in, in presidential politics for you know going back a long time, and I think um, some of it's warranted, but a lot of it is still silly to throw it all out, out the door and pretend like there's no value. I mean, it, how do you make decisions? There's so many decisions you have to make in a day and a week, and having good information to make those decisions just seems like a smart thing.
1: All right. So I want to bring up a quasi-touchy subject, but I think it's something that um, many of us on the campaign have talked about over and over again. And it is, you know, why did we not play more in Wisconsin and Michigan in particular? I think Pennsylvania we did play a lot. It's a lot of time in. So so yeah. when people bring up Pennsylvania, I always say, no, we, we it's really Michigan and Wisconsin because we spent a lot of time in Pennsylvania. But... Our analytics data showed that we, you know, had those two states in the bag, right? That Michigan and Wisconsin were wins for us. We didn't need to focus as much time there. How do you think that reincorporating good old-fashioned gut instinct back into the analytics operation, you know, do you think that's something that we could have done differently on the campaign? Do you think that we should have, you know, maybe done a better job of saying – are thinking to ourselves, maybe our data is not showing that we should be going to these places, but these are, you know, white working class voter states. Um, These are states that President Clinton did very well in when he ran for president. Like, how do you think that that, that when analytics shows you one thing and your gut's telling you something slightly different, how do you marry those two?
2: I mean, I I think that's a great question. I don't know that there's an obvious answer to that, because I think one of the reality of it is once you buy into data... (laughs) It's really hard to say, well, this time I'm not going to trust the data. And, um, you know, and, and just to be clear, it was not just that uh, the Hillary Clinton data was saying this thing. It was like everyone's That's data. That's right.
1: It's an important distinction.
2: Public data, the Trump data. You know, Donald Trump did not wake up on November 8th thinking he was going to be president. And they certainly didn't think that at 6 o'clock at night when the poll started closing. And so I think, you know, the hard part about this is that, yes, data can sometimes be wrong. And this was sort of a a unique moment in 2016 when the
0: data really was off kind of across the board. So just to hook off of what uh, Adrian said, and this is, you know, we'll we'll put this to rest after this question. But you've obviously heard the criticism by some, uh, wondering whether or not you guys actually polled uh, the last several weeks of the campaign in battleground districts, uh, Stan Greenberg, a noted uh, Democratic pollster, uh, wrote his autopsy on the race. Uh, she, uh, it was a, a post. He said uh, he called how she lost, and in it he says astonishingly, the 2016 Clinton campaign conducted no state polls in the three final three weeks of the general election, and relied primarily on data analytics to project turnout in state. In uh, the state vote, so do you want to set the record straight? What what happened? Uh, I mean, it is
2: disconcerting to me that someone like Stan Greenberg, who's you know been a pollster going back to Bill Clinton in '92, and obviously a much longer career, um, still doesn't actually understand the difference between polling and analytics, or that there, in this case, was no difference. I mean, to be clear, the analytics team was polling nightly. At a really high volume in each of these states, we were not using a traditional pollster, but they are literally using the exact same method, which is calling people on the phone, asking them a set of questions, and then recording, you know, how they vote and waiting the poll. And uh, you know, unlike traditional pollsters that might only ask 800 people or a thousand people, uh, data analytics keeps the survey very, very short. And we were getting thousands a night in each state. So we had Wisconsin data, Michigan data, like the the idea that we weren't getting uh, credible, good, I mean, you know, there was obviously flaws in everyone's data, but that we weren't getting any data and we're making this decision based on models that we're not getting updated daily is, uh, you know, again, I, I don't know where Stan got that idea. And it's just bizarre that he doesn't understand the difference, which is concerning.
1: Yeah, and I remember when that piece came out, we were, all of us from the Clinton campaign were pretty frustrated because we, um, you know, we, we had such a strong team, and I believe very much in our strategy that, um, that we deployed, and I think we deployed it effectively. Um, there's always, like you said, I mean, the Trump campaign's analytic data, the media, that's important to note that the networks, um, CBS, ABC, NBC, they all have an analytics operation that essentially matched our data, um, so you know I think when outsiders come in and provide you know unscientific um, you know uneducated commentary it can be a little frustrating. Well, just
2: to give you a sense of how much we were drowning in data, in addition to our analytics team doing a nightly dive in each of the key states, we had Joel Benenson, who's the lead pollster, doing right. uh, polling across the sort of battleground states as a whole. So we were on top of the analytics data nightly. We were getting. Uh, A snapshot of what was going on across sort of the 10 battlegrounds each night. So it was just we were there was the idea that we were like doing this with, uh, you know, our eyes closed and just trying to guess about where to go because we refuse to have data is just so far from reality. It's hard to understand where that stuff comes from.
0: So we'll have uh, Stan Greenberg on uh, to respond <laughs> to this. Um, is there any, if you had to, not so much do that race over again, but if you were to do another race, uh, is there, are there questions you would ask uh, in addition to what you guys were asking as part of your Data Analytics polling? Because as you said, it was briefer than a traditional poll. Would you add some questions on there to get a better sense of not just why the horse race is where it is, but why people are you know, feeling what they're feeling.
2: I mean, that that to me, it's a great point, Doug. I, I actually, your question sort of points to why you need both of these tools. They have to work together, right? Like analytics gives you a sense of being able to look at an individual level so that your canvasser knows what door to knock on. Your mail team knows who should you be sending mail to. You just can't get that level of data from a poll. But What a poll, kind of a traditional poll can get you is, a way broader sense of like people's underlying attitudes, how they feel about a candidate, how they feel about the country, how they feel about the economy. Historically, analytics has not tried to delve into that. And that has been the realm of kind of traditional polling. And that's wildly important information to understand what's actually driving people's decision, not just what is their sort of decision right now. And so, you know, we felt like we did a ton of that. I think 16 was a a wacky election in the sense that you really did see a sort of realignment, um, particularly around white voters and education that just didn't matter, right? And in 2012, uh, a white college-educated voter and a white non-college-educated voter in Florida were voting pretty much the same uh, in terms of their you know, support for Obama and Romney. Suddenly, in 2016, those tame two voters, a white college and a white non-college voter, are voting like 20 points different, And they were, and you know, that's when it becomes really hard because the ground is shifting underneath you, and you know, a lot of analytics does rely on sort of past behavior and what we know about people. And when that changes, it becomes a really hard thing for
0: everyone. Thanks, Naveen, for breaking it down for us. Naveen is going to be joining us this week for our Power Five rankings. Till then, I'm Doug Thornell, joined by Adrian Elrod. This is the Electables.